Hello, good evening. Welcome to the EPL show on this Wednesday night. My name is Oscar Rutherford. I'm joined tonight, of course, as always, by the evergreen Josh Parrish. Josh, how are you this evening? Evergreen. Evergreen. Uh, am I as evergreen as Nikolai Topper Stanley is? Probably not quite. Well, yeah, we, let's be reasonable here. More deciduous than that. <laughs> <laughs> There's bits starting to fall off me as yeah. we as we approach the winter months. <laughs> I'm starting to collapse piece by piece, leaf by leaf. But uh, alas, we uh, no. Uh, the Premier League is uh, is hotting up though. We're coming back with some uh, uh, after some international action, and it's well the public discourse around the league probably as insane as it ever has been. I think people are hankering for some actual matches to talk about so they can stop tweeting. I think that's right. We're seeing many things hit the social media sphere of various degrees of seriousness and importance. Uh, We were speaking just before about one of perhaps most interesting being the Harry Maguire booing incident that's been happening at the most recent England game. Uh, The kind of response that, you know, is perhaps... Well, I, I was going to say it's been coming. I don't think it really has. It's kind of, I find it a bit strange, actually, mm. because a player who I understand that Manchester United fans haven't been too crazy about this season, but to see that filter through to the national team is, is a bit odd and unexpected, I thought. It is odd, uh, especially in a 3-0 win over mm. Ivory Coast. It was when his name was read out right. that they started booing. And his England teammates and his manager have quickly rallied around him. Uh, Jordan Henderson posting on his uh, social media, I can't get my head around what happened at Wembley tonight. Harry Maguire has been a colossus for England. Without him, the to- progress made at the last two tournaments would not have been possible. To be booed at his home stadium for no reason? What have we become? What happened tonight was just wrong. As someone who wants to win with England, I feel fortunate to share a dressing room with him. We all feel the same, presumably him and his England teammates and not the fans who were. I was going to say about booing Harry Maguire. Mm. (laughs) And uh, Gareth Southgate, the reception was a joke, an absolute joke. I don't know how it benefits anybody. We're either all in it together or we're not. Well, it seems like you're not, Gareth, but anyway. I imagine if you asked a few of them why they did it, they probably wouldn't even be able to answer. It's mob mentality. One end of the ground, you have a hardcore group trying to get his name sung. It wasn't everybody. Players will look at that and think, that could be me. It makes players not want to come. It has happened in the past with John Barnes. We need Harry to do well. We aren't going to win a World Cup with a load of players with three or four caps. That's never happened in the history of the game. I will pick up on one thing that he said about we're all in this together or we're not. I'm, I'm not at all convinced by the idea that a, f- a fan group has to be unified in its support of all the players of a team. I think that's mm. incorrect. But I can still agree with some of the sentiment about... Um, well, well, can, it's a good question about whether Harry, how important has Harry Maguire been to this England team because he's actually consistently performed quite well for England, really, hasn't he? So I think it's just his reputation mm. from Manchester United carrying through, which is weird to his England yeah. performances, which, which is weird because that hasn't that that's affected other fans positively as opposed to negatively. Mm. I don't know why there's this negative perception of Harry Maguire. Maybe because yeah. London's full of Manchester United fans. That's they were right. All, they were the one, maybe the ones yeah. booing him. I, I wish we had a, a demographic breakdown mm. of the fans who were booing, but unfortunately such technology does not yet exist and it would be you know, slightly Black Mirror-esque if we could uh, draw that up. But, I mean, 
I don't see how England fans really have reason to complain. They hadn't qualified for the final of a major tournament since 66, and they got to the Euro final and only lost it on penalties. So whatever you might think about Gareth Southgate's overly cautious tactics, whatever you might think about individual selections and so forth, England are going to the World Cup, which is more than can be said for a lot of other Mm. high-profile European nations. Hello, Nick DeBano, if you're watching. Uh, And... I just don't really see cause for this kind of booing at a friendly match. It's just it's it's very strange to me. I don't see I don't really see the not not so much. I don't I don't necessarily agree that fans should always be unanimous clapping. Let's go team. Let's go. No matter what is happening on the pitch, I think fans have a right to voice their opinion. But I just don't think that opinion is justified in this situation. Yeah, I th- I, th- I think that's right. I think it's. I don't think either of us is saying that fans should never boo people kind of things or, or, or express dissatisfaction yeah, to exactly. some extent. Um, but just in this particular instance, it feels unwarranted. It feels misplaced almost. Um, but, you know, of course, reaching the final of the Euros guarantees success forever after. So, you know, it's, um, you'd think that that would have a lot of I'm not of saying I'm particularly optimistic about England's chances no. of winning the World Cup this year. But I, I still don't think it justifies, you know, booing... One of your starting players just because he's Harry Maguire and just because he's made a tit of himself for Manchester United this season. Maybe maybe they're booing the idea of Harry Maguire starting. Maybe they think that, you know, despite his international form, his uh, appearances for his club and his, his poor um, showing for Manchester United means he should be dropped from the England national team. Maybe they're really booing Gareth Southgate. That's it, a long bow. Yeah, wow. It's what Harry Maguire represents, mm. not, not who he is. It's the idea of Harry it's Maguire. The idea it's of not Harry Maguire. Slabhead himself, <laughs> but what he represents. Very profound, I think, <laughs> of you to of you to suggest, Josh. But of course, speaking of Manchester United, it's not the only thing that we've seen popping up in particularly a social media context about certain individuals at Manchester United or perhaps figures at the club. Gary Neville, of course, put out a tweet uh, just after United got knocked out of the Champions League by Atletico Madrid, uh, criticising the current squad of players for being seen all over the world at all sorts of events, having a good time, um, having just lost to Atletico Madrid, as I say. It feels like the kind of conversation that we have quite regularly in particularly Premier League circles and... I'm kind of always struck by the same conclusion of of surely you want players to have lives. And also I imagine that uh Gary Neville he spoke about this this isn't this wasn't how we'd do it when I was playing and if we if we got a drawer at home you wouldn't see us at any local restaurant, let alone out having a party having been knocked out of the, the Europe out of Europe. I think that's very much a romanticised version of what happened. I mean, we spoke about just a few weeks ago about mm. Wayne Rooney, for example, and kind of the things that we didn't see. Like maybe the version that responses to to disappointment on the pitch. Sorry, let me start the sentence again. The way players respond to disappointment on the pitch may have changed or the visibility of it might have mm. changed, but I don't think it's real to say that players... Well, let, let's read the out. tweet first yeah, before yeah, we get into the, the the meta analysis. Uh, Gary Neville uh, tweeted, "I remember a time when you, should I do his voice or should <laughs> I, 
Remember a time when United players, managers, executives wouldn't be seen in their local Italian after a draw at home, let alone getting not no, it's not it's going Scottish <laughs> now. I've lost it. Get let alone getting knocked out of Europe. This last week we've seen a global tour of F1 concerts, cricket, and UFC events. And my favourite bit: this lot are tone deaf. Tone deaf. It's so uh, perfectly uh, Piers Morgan in its tone, isn't yeah. it? It's just that 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 perfect shrill note to hit that gets traction on Twitter one way or another. Um, and it's certainly divided opinion, this this take, and it's it's a real hot one, a steaming hot take. But I I don't think we in his day, when he wouldn't be seen in wouldn't be seen in his local Italian, uh, is comparing apples with apples. No. I I mean he didn't have a social media profile when he was playing. Uh, you know, he retired before, you know, even Facebook was popular or maybe existed. So, you know, let alone Instagram or Snapchat or whatever these players are using um, to uh, show off what they're doing. And it's it's not even necessarily players posting things on their own social media of their own volition, but also them being seen at these events. So I don't think that... Gary Neville is saying that you should do a Wayne Rooney and lock yourself in a dark room for two weeks and drink yourself into oblivion and feel like, you know, just as repentance from you for your poor performance. I think he's saying you just got to do it on the sly, which is what he actually argues in one of his follow-up tweets, which is hilarious because Gary Neville never played in an era where everybody has a smartphone in their pocket, you know, that can not only take photos and videos in an instant, but also live stream anywhere in the world in a second. He didn't live in that era. You know, he was in like Steve Bruce's pub, you know, they'd shut the curtains, do a lock-in and, you know, uh, and if the phone rang, they'd just say nobody was there. Like (laughs) he's living in a, he was, he was playing in a different era whereby you could get away with a lot more off the pitch without quote unquote, causing a ruckus or raising a fuss. So, I think this is classic middle-aged man yells at cloud stuff. Yeah, I, I think that's right. And I think you also brought up an important distinction between players themselves necessarily tweeting or, or putting something out and also just being photographed or captured at those mm. events because this isn't kind of the Jolly and Les Scott level of, you know, tweeting out a picture of your nice car after you've lost kind of thing. It's lots of the time it's just literally other people filming them being there, which feels very... Very, very harsh on the players to be. And after seen. a loss, they just happen to have some time off. Sometimes, you know, there's a break in fixtures. They would have had a game, but they got knocked out of the FA Cup. So, you know, you could go on your holidays. I mean, Ralph Ranick was watching cricket in Barbados. So it was not not just the players who were having time off. And that's not like I know we like to read into things, but that's not the problem at the club. The problem isn't that the players are going out afterwards. We talk about we, we spoke mm. about Manchester City players going out afterwards. They keep winning games of football. Like it's so not there's so not this direct correlation mm. that we like to think that there is. I know that like, like we like to draw these long bows, but it's just not there. It just doesn't make sense. Yeah, I think sometimes it's easier for a sound bite for you know somebody to sound off about players you know going out on the town and getting drunk as a reason for their poor performances as opposed to the stuff on the pitch that's more difficult to actually analyse. It's a lazy shortcut to um, to an explanation. And I, I, I think we see it a lot 
across sports media and the coverage of, of sports people is it leans... I think we saw it after the Socceroos game, uh, not to bring it too mm. close to an Australian lens. I think we saw it after the Socceroos game with the Channel 10 coverage where instead of talking about the tactical failings on the night against Japan, the pundits were busy talking about a player who didn't even play, skipping the next match, which was a dead rubber for his wedding, you know, and questioning his lack of commitment to the national team as being emblematic of the rest of the players. That is a lazy shortcut to an explanation, and, and so is this. I think you see it the world over, but this is a particularly glaring example of that. Yeah, I think that's a really prominent comparison to make and I think it's really fair and it is the same thing that's going on and it's it's also I think about you know it's lazy but it's also glorifying the old days I think that if Mm. you're an old player you'd like to imagine yourself as this kind of military level soldier who's going in to do all these things week in week out that wasn't necessarily the case and to be fair we have seen since the Gary Neville tweet some other players come out and offer some level of defence or some kind of questioning of what was being said. I I saw Gary Lineker put something out where he was saying, was that really what was going on? Even um, Clayton Blackmore, which is is a name that I I don't come across too Mm. often, but former Manchester United player Clayton Blackmore saying, yeah, look, not too sure that that there's a legitimacy to what Gary's saying there. Yeah, I I find this... um I, I, I find this a very, yeah, lazy analysis, but I also think that it links into, whether consciously or not, it links into a lot of the uh, criticism of Marcus Rashford and the bad faith stuff. That, and I, I think Gary Neville would hate to be associated with this given his other, you know, political views. He's... I, I had to scroll a long way back through the timeline to find that because he was busy complaining about Boris Johnson mm. for most of it. So I'm not saying he, he shares this view at all. But when you start talking about what players are doing off the pitch in their their spare time as reasons for what's happening on the field, even when they're attending every required training session and every required recovery session and so forth. You know, inside reports into the club about players' work ethic and falling outs and, you know, uh, cultural problems, that's that's a different thing. But when you're drawing a long bow just from looking at the outside and seeing what how a player is visible and therefore saying that's the reason, you know, they're not focused on football, it's kind of the same argument lazy argument you're falling back on the marcus rashford situation where it's like well you know he's doing all this political stuff it's a distraction there's no wonder he's getting injured all the time and he's not playing well and i i think that's a a kind of slippery slope because that that those sorts of um uh, yeah those sorts of assertions about about rashford can come from a quite a bad faith Mm. place and you know neville is unwittingly associating himself with some of the real gammons of uh, of British public life. Well, why do you, do you, do you think it is just laziness that says doing, say, a tactical analysis would be too hard? Is that do you think that's what it is? I think tactical analysis and uh, comprehensive breakdowns of what's actually happening on the field is more intellectually taxing than talking about players being too lazy and so forth. But it's also it's. A lot less clickbaity to say that, yeah. you know, uh, Scott McTominay's lack of progressive passing um, is the reason for Manchester United's decline as opposed to, you know, um, a player, uh, you know, Cristiano Ronaldo 
uh, being a diva and mm. uh, causing a locker room ruckus. So, like that personality politics stuff is uh, way more headline grabbing and way more attention seeking and way more clickbaity than uh, the the other. What's actually going on in the pitch? It's a, it seems to be everything around football that obsesses us about it, and less so the actual you know stuff that happens on the green thing. Mm. And I think it is a search for uh, for attention and, and relevance in a way. I think particularly in a league like the Premier League when so much of it's based on these personalities, on these mm. figures as opposed to the football itself. I mean, look at Roy Keane. All yeah. he ever talks about, he's the, the highest paid pundit mm. uh, and the most viewed pundit. And all he ever talks about is the player's lack of commitment mm. um, and that they're, they're soft and, you know, they're pampered and... You know, he would uh, sack a lot of them or, you know, kick them up in the air in a training session. And, you know, that that stuff uh, is very easily digestible, I suppose, in short sound bites. And it fits into the kind of uh, Stone Age English football mentality of uh, these, uh, you know, these modern day divas. They don't know how good they've got it. You know, everything was better back in the old days. Seems to be a pervasive mindset in the UK in particular. Um, and I, I think you, you see that that pattern borne out in, in this Neville tweet as well. Yeah, the, the disconnect between what playing professional football in the UK was like in the 80s and early 90s compared to now. I feel like where what's changed in that transition phase kind of brings with it this this glorifying of the past mm. and shooting down of the new is kind of that they don't get it anymore kind of thing. Yeah, and it's it's also so uh, hypocritical because all I ever hear about those days is, you know, Tony Adams and the Tuesday Club and the Arsenal players drinking and drinking and, mm. you know, carrying on and not taking care of themselves and then turning up match day and they still got the job done and got the three points that's and right. therefore it was a, a halcyon that's day. That's awesome, isn't it? You go, how cool is mm. it that they were able to do that? They were able yeah. to turn up to training hungover and then, you know, smash shit out on a Saturday. It's but apparently of- they were actually more committed and disciplined yeah. back in back in their day, which is you know, such a, a logical disconnect. It's it's cognitive dissonance there. And I wonder at what point you link this to arguments about having the diversity within the media of not just former players who kind of can all create this culture or promote this coherent narrative of what playing football mm. was like 30 years ago or 20 years ago kind of thing. And maybe if you have more disruptors, that makes it more effective. One other point I was going to make was I wonder how much of it's... It, it's just... Well, I'm sure it is just an emotional response kind of thing. When you talk about mm. the Roy Keane post-games kind of thing or even the Gary Neville's, just you see this stuff and... and I think Neville's is an emotional response. I think Roy Keane, to a certain extent, is a performative response because that's what he's paid to do now by Sky. I feel like Roy Keane has become slightly self-aware, but as you were. <laughs> no, I, look, that's that's probably true, actually, as you say. But but the Gary, the Gary Neville thing of... of yeah, the, it's... You you have these pundits or these commentators who will bring emotion, which is valuable mm. to an extent. But you know that's kind of uh, it, it's it's odd to come out in a tweet. I imagine he's seen that and then done that quite quickly, one after the other, as opposed to that being a processed or deeply thought. Deeply no, don't, I don't think he's got. I don't think he's got a PR team. No, of, you know, checking that one. No, I think that's right. Uh, it is an instinctive um, anger, and I I'm not sure if Gary Neville is quite. Uh, come to terms with the fact that his club is just not an elite footballing institution anymore. (laughs) 
and he can't quite process why that's happened because he was very pro Mourinho when Mourinho came in. You know, he's. Uh, I, I do think like his analysis when he's when he's got the match footage in front of him can be very very strong, but then his overall conclusions that he draws about the cultural issues in the game and so forth um, can be very uh, very old school and very reactive um, because he's harking back to an era where Manchester United were dominant and they're not anymore. And it's kind of hard to come to terms with that and process that. And I wonder how much what there was a quote this week from Louis van Gaal, former Manchester United manager, saying in discussing the potential of Eric Ten Hag moving to become the next United manager, saying, I think it was Manchester United isn't a football club, it's a commercial club more or less, kind of criticising the the very core of what Manchester United is. And I wonder how much that kind of becomes more prominent when you when you mm. where, where, is that the kind of reactionary emotional thing that we're talking about, or is there more merit to that? Is that more of a a well considered thought out? That's actually the crux of the problem at Manchester United is that they're not as interested in winning football games as the other clubs. I in Van Hal's case, it's an interesting one because I think he's absolutely spot on. Yeah. It is a commercial institution. They haven't prioritized football. They they make decisions for non-footballing reasons all the time, such as how marketable players are, yeah. uh, and I think that's a big reason why you know Paul Pogba's been paid you know three hundred thousand or four hundred thousand pounds a week for a long time, despite not really being starting player anymore. Um, and they've even offered him a contract extension. It's him that's deciding to not to sign it, not the club by by all, all reports. So, you know that's that's extraordinary, and you can tell it that's not that's not performance based. No, and that, that's that's driven by other motivations. Um, but uh, you also look at Van Hal, and he always has some sort of personal axe to grind. <laughs> Whenever he comes out with a public statement, it's always based on some historical you know slight that he feels. Yeah. Uh, even when he came out and smashed the, uh, the Qatar World Cup, um, you know, it's ridiculous that we're going to play in a country, how does FIFA say it, to develop the football there, to develop it better there. And how are you doing that? By organizing a tournament in that country. But it doesn't matter. It's about money, commercial interests. Um, and, you know, uh, <laughs> that's the quote that went around. Mm-hmm. Uh, and a lot of people were praising him for his, you know, moral backbone and standing up to FIFA and so forth. But in the exact same interview, he also complained about how he wasn't on any of the FIFA technical committees and they hadn't got him involved yet. So <laughs> I think with Van Hal, I don't know whether it always comes from a place of, you know, he genuinely feels these things that might also be true, but there always seems to be some sort of personal axe to grind in the background. In this case, it's him still being angry about how he was treated at Manchester United and being sacked directly after winning an FA Cup. I think that's right. I think this is kind of a combination of those things, of the emotional kind mm. of not rational response. He's right, but, also, but it's also sour grapes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's, 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 <laughs> that's really, and, and that, that's, but you know, Louis Van, yes, but he's right. He's right as well. He's also yeah. right, which is, which, whether he's right for the, for good reasons. <laughs> he, or, what, he's or, right for the wrong <laughs> reasons. <laughs> that's right. Um, yeah, I think that that's fundamentally far more relevant than, the, the the attitude that the club or the way the club views itself, I think, is far more relevant to any of the any individual player or even collective player behaviours. But with that, I think we should uh, we should go to an ad break. I think we should. Uh, we've got more to come up, including uh, an attempted poisoning, maybe, of Roman Abramovich, <laughs> maybe. 
we'll we'll dive into it. We'll, <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll see. We're not sure. Maybe maybe he was poisoned. Maybe he wasn't. We'll, we'll we'll cover it. But yeah, we'll be back right after the break. 